it's very important because today uh, one of our priests turns 27 years old. Susan said, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Father Jonathan Dillon. I am, I was talking with Monsignor earlier, and I am the youngest priest in the diocese. <laughs> my classmates, Adam, I believe is two years older than I am, and Grant is a few more years. <laughs> we'll be gentle. Uh, just to keep it short, I will make sure that I don't go over my time here. Um, you know, when we talk about vocation, one of the ways that I've always understood it is that it's a way that God has called us to live so that our names can be written in the book of life. Um, and so to use kind of a cliche uh, you know, tool, uh, I'll talk about uh, my own vocation in terms of a story of a book. Um, and the, the first chapter is my discernment, uh, which was not easy for me. Uh, I grew up in a military household. Um, some of you have heard my vocation story. Some of you have heard it many times. Um, but growing up in a military household was a fantastic experience. I enjoyed it. I lived in Germany for eight years. I got to live in Texas for uh, about seven. Um, and so in the midst of all of that, we traveled everywhere. And I got to see a lot. I made a lot of friends. And my father taught me a lot of great values. Um, 
I remember when I talk about my vocation, I always bring this part up. My father taught me the Army Corps values when I was little. He was, uh, he was super gung-ho uh, when he was in the Army. And, uh, I mean, when you think about, like, movie military dads, it was kind of like my dad. You know, uh, he went through a phase where if we got in trouble, we did push-ups. <laughs> um, which uh, I think he got out of that phase. But, um, you know, uh, it, was, it was extraordinary the way that that formed me. Talking about leadership, about self-sacrifice, about duty, about respect. Um, all of these things became uh, a part of who I was, even though I was only, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, my father was in the military. His father was in the army. His father before him was in the military. It was a long ways back. I mean, it's just part of Dylan blood. And it took deep root in my heart. Um, and that really laid the, the seedbed, I think, for a vocation. When I looked at the priesthood, I saw a means of sacrifice. I saw a means of carrying out one's duty for the church. I saw a means of... Um, patriotism is the wrong word because that's for one's country. But I found a deep love for my church. And I desperately uh, wanted to give myself away to that, uh, eventually. Um, it threw a lot, of, a lot of prayer and a lot of heartbreak. Um, moving away from the, the idea of joining the military and going to the priesthood. Uh, and part of, uh, part of that struggle was how, uh, how was I going to um, sacrifice myself for the people and how was I going to be a father? Um, I'm the oldest of 11 children. Uh, family means everything to me. Uh, and it took a while for me uh, to really understand uh, what God was calling me to in the priesthood. You know, I remember laying in bed my one night my senior year, and this thought always just, uh, I, I remember it as clear as yesterday, um, laying in bed and praying. And I loved God, and I loved His church, and I wanted to serve Him, but I wanted a family. Um, and I remember telling God, and I was dead serious at the time. I said, Lord, I will give you two sons. I will, I'll throw in a daughter. Um, you're like getting three for one here, man. Um, I mean, this, is, this has got to be a good thing, right? Um, I'm a generous parent. I'm willing to give them all away. Um, just let me have them for a little while. And I remember this resounding silence. But it was not a silence uh, as if God was not there. It was almost um, like the way sometimes my father looks at me. He'll just kind of cock his head and smile. And that look says everything. Like, really? Like, come on, come on, John. Um, and it was that night that I said, you know what, all right, fine. I'll go to seminary. Uh, and I decided to oppose God with all of my heart. Um, 
those of you who know me from back then, I had hair down to here. Um, I had the full beard. I looked like a convict. Um, and so when I applied for seminary, um, I applied, uh, you know, there was, there was one young man, uh, a man I still consider my brother, Tom Lawrence, who applied later than I did, but I thought I applied pretty late. Um, but uh, I applied late. I did very poorly in high school. I was much better at hanging out with my friends than I was at schoolwork. Um, and I applied to the university without taking the SAT or the ACT on purpose. Um, and I wrote really, really poor essays on purpose with this goal of saying, if I can just get rejected, then I can put this all behind me. And the letter I sent, and the picture that I sent to the bishop, the, uh, the picture that I sent to the rector of the seminary, the picture that I sent to the university, was after driving from Custer with all of the windows down and not combing my hair. Um, I looked like a homeless guy. It was, it was rough. And then a couple of weeks later, I got the letter that I had been accepted to seminary. <laughs> and my heart sunk. <laughs> I said, well, now I have to go. Um, and I fought the bishop about cutting the hair uh, up until a week before I left. Uh, and so that, when that finally went, I said, all right, this just got real. We've got to do this. So I went, and my life changed. Um, I found a peace that I hadn't experienced for a few years, ever since I'd begun really seriously thinking about priesthood. And from there on, my seminary career... Um, kind of uh, took off. I mean, there were many struggles. Uh, seminary, in seminary, I found myself uh, very happy, uh, but I was challenged. Um, seminary is not a place where you just skate through. Seminary is not a place where you start and end the same person. Um, you know, sometimes the analogy is used that we are marble and that God is chiseling us into a wonderful sculpture like Michelangelo. Um, and using the chisel sometimes hurts. Um, but I look back at who I was when I started seminary, um, and I, I see myself very clearly, although um, if somebody were to just look at the two of us, they wouldn't recognize. God, God did amazing things. He changed my life in extraordinary ways. Um, and part of that was simply giving in to the call, saying, Lord, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a leap of faith and trust that what you're calling me to is going to make me happy. Um, that what I think is going to make me happy, it, it might work out, but I know and I trust that what you're saying will for sure make me happy, happier than I've ever been. Um, and it was scary. Uh, but I look back and through all of it, God was with me. And then chapter two, um, priesthood. Um, so I finished my seminary career uh, and the bishop calls me to orders. And I... Was, I felt very resolute. There, was, there wasn't any doubt in my mind. 
about whether I should become a priest. But I remember being terribly anxious. Um, and I wonder if it's the same thing that men feel when they get married. Um, they know this is the woman for them, uh, but you ask them the night before the wedding and they're probably shaking in their boots a little bit. Uh, and it, it was this final you know, con concretization of the last eight years of prayer and laughing and crying and studying philosophy and theology. And I remember, um, and I, I think this is very special, I think, for a lot of priests, but I remember laying down before the altar. And it's a different perspective from being in the pews. I've attended a lot of ordinations. But it's very humbling. It's very haunting to lay there and to hear the litany of the saints being prayed for you. Um, the entire people of God petitioning the saints, petitioning heaven um, to fill us with strength, to fill us with courage, to fill us with love. Um, and laying there felt like an eternity. Uh, and I could have I feel like I could have laid there all day listening to the people sing. Um, and then the bishop uh, ordained us. Uh, and I know it was a very special moment for him. We were his first priestly ordination. And when he poured the oil on our hands, his hands were shaking too. Um, and I remember thinking, uh, almost tangible, the power of God right there. Um, and even though I didn't feel anything um, like, uh, like one would think, uh, I, didn't f I understood at that moment um, what God was doing for me so that I could do for the people. Um, and again, just very humbling. And it was very confirming. Uh, as soon as I went down for first blessings, uh, I didn't feel awkward acting like a priest. Uh, even though sometimes it was still, it's, even now sometimes it's still a little weird, weird to hear, hey Father, um, you know, God had brought me to that point and he was right there with me. He's still with me. Um, and so I'll close my little uh, story here with one of the, uh, my profound experiences so far in my priesthood. I've been ordained for 140 days, uh, for four months. Uh, and probably the most profound experience I've had right now in relation to um, serving uh, the people here in Western South Dakota was, I was called to do a last rites. Um, it was my first last rites, and I was terrified. It's like, this is the one thing you don't want to mess up. Um, and I go in, and there's this rancher who uh, is an older gentleman. And he's got tears in his eyes. His mother is dying. And she has dementia. She is entirely, uh, you know, you, you can't recognize what she's saying. Everything she says is kind of just... It's all jumbled, and none of the sentences make sense. And 
I sat down next to her and I explained to her why I was there. Um, that I was there uh, to help her in this last part of the journey. Uh, that she was dying and that I was here to give her the graces of the church and uh, to be the first one to hand her over to God. And her son left the room. You know, I, I went through last rites and everything. And she babbled the whole time. And he left. And I sat there uh, holding her hand. And for about 30 seconds, she became entirely cogent. She stopped shaking and she looked at me and she said, Father, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, and it's still, it's incredibly moving to me right now. Um, and then she went back into babbling. And at that moment, I have never felt more confirmed in my call. Uh, and I have never desired more to pour myself out for the people, to be there at those moments. And so as we celebrate uh, this Vocations Week, um, I think it's really important to tell young men that it's moments like those that will make your life, um, that will uh, show you the incredible power of God behind uh, everything we do, that he is calling young men to priesthood, um, and that they will be happy, uh, and that it is the most fulfilling life uh, that I could think of. It's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And so uh, I encourage uh, all the families here, all the families that listen to this online, um, when you see a man that would make a good candidate for the priesthood, don't hesitate. Tell him that. And that will move him, and who knows how many lives you will touch. Who knows how many quiet hospital rooms um, that they'll go to and change people's lives. Thank you. Up next, Father Mark McCormick. So it, um, it's a great uh, a, a line from Catherine of Siena. Uh, if, you, if you are who you should be, uh, you would set the world on fire. And that's the amazing thing, I think, of that reading from John we heard tonight. I have called you. I have chosen you. And the beautiful thing is that God continues to call us day after day after day. God has chosen each of us. He's called us by name. And every time he calls us, he draws us deeper and deeper into this incredible love. I've called you. I have chosen you. And the fact is that every time we hear his voice, he draws us deeper and deeper into his love, the love of the Father. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand that call to hear it in our hearts. And sometimes that call grows cold and tepid. 
even as priests. And so as I thought about that line from Catherine of Siena, if you are who you are, you would set the world on fire. And even for many years as a priest, I, my heart was not on fire. There were things missing in my life. Even though I felt called and felt chosen. But there was something missing. Even at times an emptiness. Perhaps a darkness at times. And it started the healing this, this inner healing uh, that took, and that's the beauty about vocations, uh, whether it's priesthood or, or, or married life, um, that this God of ours is alive. This God of ours is living. And because he's living, he constantly brings us into his love, and so we're constantly being called day after day after day into deeper union. He never stops calling us. He calls us constantly. And we just have to say yes to that call. I remember a number of years ago uh, going to a, a priest named Father Macular for a healing. I wanted to be healed so bad <laughs> of a physical heart. I had no idea my spiritual heart was broken. And when he laid hands on me, I looked at him. He said, what do you want? What are you seeking? Kind of like Bartimaeus. What do you want to me? He says, I want to see. He said, I want a new heart. And then after that, Claire Tenai laid hands on me. And she looked at me. She said, whew, wow. Like, you, you don't know Mary at all, do you? <laughs> you have no relationship with our Blessed Mother. None, zero, nada. I thought, wow, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> but, but it was so true. And I went to this place called Magigoria. And Our Lady found me. She led me back to Christ. And I'll never forget celebrating Mass at the Basilica of St. James. And after Mass, this lady comes up to me and she says, ah, I had a vision <laughs> that Mary reinvested you as priest. Thought, wow, I'm not sure what that means, but I think it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mary has reinvested you as, as priest. And I always remember coming back from an eight-day silent retreat and in 2011, and, um, and the first thing I did when I got out of the airport, I, I drove as fast as I could to the cathedral, and I prostrated myself for the second time in front of the altar for a long time. Lord, you have called me. Let me know your love. Lord, you have called me. Let me know your love. The saints often talk about second and third conversions. Experiencing an incredible conversion. Um, maybe it's, it's gone anyway. Uh, um, 
primarily through Our, our, our Lady. You know, she has led me to Christ. She has taught me how to say yes um, to her, to Christ. And once you say yes to Our Lady, there's something happens to you. What happened to her happens to us. That the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And God, the Most High, overshadows us. And that's how we catch fire. It's when we allow the Father through His Son and His Spirit to come into our lives. This past September, I was at a, a vocation conference. And a bunch of us priests from Region 8, we went out to dinner one night. And I was sitting across the vocation director from the diocese, the Archdiocese of Minneapolis, St. Paul. He says, so tell me your story. You're kind of old. <laughs> uh, you must be one of the oldest ones here. So I just started to share my story about my tepidness about my lukewarmness. Even though God did incredible things in my human weakness, he's able to do much more when we give our whole heart to him. And it's through this experience that I've come to know in a deep way my authentic self, my real self, my true self, which sin always distorts and takes the joy from our hearts. And so I, I, I shared with Father Troy my story that night. I shared my witness from him at this restaurant. And the next day, he says, Father Mark, I, I have something for you. And he gave me this image of Mary Vesting the beloved disciple John. As Jesus said on the cross, Behold my mother, behold my son. And John took Mary into his home, into his heart. I made a promise that I would always behold the mother, always lift her up, because she has brought me to incredible union with her son Jesus. So we're always being called. God's always changing us. We're never the same when he enters our lives. Why? Because our God is alive. Our God is risen. Our God is personal and wants a relationship with us. You just have to say, yes, I'm open. Come into my life and come into my heart. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and God the Most High will come upon you. And you will find your true self, your real self, your authentic self. That's what Catherine of Siena is saying. If you knew who you really were, you would set the world on fire. Why isn't our world on fire? Because we struggle to know our true selves. At times we're afraid to give our heart to Christ. 
let him have his way with us. So this is what the prayer said by St. Teresa's prayer for priests. O Holy Father, may the torrents of love flowing from the sacred wounds of your divine Son bring forth priests like unto the beloved disciple John who stood at the foot of the cross. Priests who as a pledge of your own most tender love will lovingly give your divine Son to the souls of men. May your priests be faithful guardians of your church, as John was of Mary, whom he received into his house, taught by this loving mother who suffered so much on Calvary. May they display a mother's care and thoughtfulness towards your children. May they teach souls to enter into close union with you through Mary, who as the gate of heaven, especially the guardian of the treasures of your divine heart. Give us priests who are on fire and who are true children of Mary, priests who will give Jesus to souls with the same tenderness and care which Mary carried the little child of Bethlehem. Mother of sorrows and of love, out of compassion for your beloved Son, open in our hearts deep wells of love so that they may console him and give him a generation of priests formed in your school and having all the tender thoughtfulness of your own spotless love. So as I, we pray for vocations for this diocese of Rapid City, that many more men will have the heart of Mary, which means they have the heart of Christ. And I ask that you pray for us shepherds because we need your prayers that we too might catch fire. And doing that, we will discover authentically who we are, made in the image and likeness of God. All right, thanks, Father Mark. And, uh, Finally, uh, to share with us his wisdom, Monsignor William O'Connell. Slowly but surely. <laughs> I want to remind Father Jonathan, when you talked about you know, going to the seminary, you in, enter as one person, you come out a new person, that guy's constantly chiseling, you know, the marble. You get ordained. If 57 and a half years later, <laughs> he's still chiseling the marble, okay? <laughs> As Father Mark testified a moment ago. Yeah, yeah. 
always goes on. I was very fortunate. I was trying to figure out, but I didn't have my computer with me. Uh, if you're ordained four months, and I'm ordained 57 years and six months, you know, I don't know what that puts it at, uh, 500 or 600 or some months, you know, in there. Uh, I was kidding Father Bob Baden today that we were going to have the beginning and the end. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in an Irish family. I had an uncle who was a priest, uh, who was a missionary of the Sacred Heart, uh, MSC, uh, went to school in Belgium, and uh, was assigned to uh, New Guinea. And uh, the beauty of that was that when he went to the South Pacific, he stayed with us for about a month, and I guess I was four or five years old at the time. And then before the Second World War started, and then after the war, missionaries from the South Pacific stayed at our house uh, maybe for a few days as they were in transit going back to Europe. So we always had um, a priest around the house. I grew up in a parish where in the summer, the pastor and the, there were four assistants or associates, and they would go and walk the neighborhood in their cassocks, uh, talking to the people that were sitting on the porches. And uh, I grew up in a parish where I would go to confession and um, sometimes go to Father Hishon, and I'd finish my confession, and then he'd say, oh, by the way, Billy, uh, tell your dad I'm going to come to play cards later tonight. You know, so <laughs> you know. And I grew up in a, going to a Catholic school. Uh, the sisters were uh, Sisters Service of the Holy Heart of Mary, and they were from uh, Quebec, from Canada. So it was a, uh, they were French-speaking and English-speaking. And I remember when I was in sixth grade, we had to write an essay as to what we wanted to be when we grew up. And uh, Sister Martha, and you know, we turned them in, you're all expecting to get A's. And um, so she called, let's say, on Billy Zuzulis and Jackie Egan about telling how wonderful it was. And then she called me. And I'd go up to the desk you know, where she had taken us. And she said, uh, this is what you want to be, huh? I said, yep, he does. You're stupid. You don't really want to climb Mount Everest. You should be a priest. What's the matter with you, huh? You know? <laughs> she was really, and, and, uh, and the sisters that I had growing up, the nuns are really an important part of my vocation uh, in the course of encouraging me over all of those years in the seminary. I was ordained in the old cathedral. Uh, I remember uh, being prostrate before that altar, you know, with the the communion rail was in. My mom and dad and my sister were here, uh, and there weren't too many, you know, the church was full. Uh, there were two others ordained with me. We were the first class of three, okay? Um, and I was, I was assigned to North Rapid at, and, at St. John's, and, or now St. Teresa's, and was there. And it's been a, a wonderful experience. Uh, there's, you know, at 57 and a half years, there's 10,000 stories, but you don't need to hear all of them. I'd like really to um, emphasize maybe three. The first of them has to do with when I was rector of the cathedral. And um, I usually took night calls. Uh, and so one night I answered the phone, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and there was an emergency in... Um, and would you, Father, would you come over quick? There's 
uh, somebody in room or whatever it was in this uh, two something and I said okay I'll be over the name didn't strike a bell you know, I'm trying to figure out who is this so I go there and it's a young man who's uh, probably 17 years old at the time and uh, I you know put on my trousers and I just threw on a sweatshirt and uh, I took the holy oils with me I went over and walked in the room and his mother is there and he looks at me and uh, he said, uh, who are you? And I said, I'm Father O'Connell. He said, are you a Catholic priest? I said, yeah. He said, you're not dressed like one. I said, yeah. And you know, it's 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> he said, uh, are you sure you're a Catholic priest? And I said, yes. I said, why? Are you Catholic? He said, no, I'm not Catholic. And all of a sudden I'm saying, you know, I was sound asleep and I get this call to come over. And he's not Catholic. And I said, well, what can I do for you? Jonathan. No, it wasn't Jonathan. It was, <laughs> it was Charles, really. Anyway, I said, okay, Charles, what can I do for you? So said, well, I'm a Catholic. But you know, Catholic priests really know how to help people die. And I'm dying. So I need your help. And so we prayed that day. And he lived for about four days after that. And I would go over every day and spend time with him. And uh, he died. And I had his funeral uh, at, out of uh, Oshimes. And I went on with my life. I'm in Gregory. And I get this note oh, after the first of the year, probably in 1995. And I opened it, it was from Springfield, from the women's prison. And, you know, and I hadn't known anybody that had been confined there, I didn't think. And I opened it up and it's, Dear Father O'Connell, I have to apologize to you. You probably don't remember me, but I'm Charles's mother. And I'm here in prison. And on Christmas Day, they came to ask if I wanted to go to Mass. And I said, why should I do anything for God? He didn't do anything for me. And the jailer walked away. And then I remembered how you helped Charles. And I called her back. And I went to Mass. And I'm receiving the sacraments. Thank you. You see? Just because you answer the phone at 2.30 in the morning. That's, uh, that's, and that's priesthood. That's the, the, the other was, I was rector of the cathedral, and Paula called me down. Somebody had come to the, the door, a woman who was distraught, and I went into the office, and she came in, and uh, she was visibly pregnant, and uh, she had this problem. She was not Catholic, but she uh, really didn't know what to do. She was involved with someone who was abusive, who would beat her up, and uh, maltreated her. You know, very abusive situation. And uh, we worked through Wavy and a couple of other things to get her out of that situation. And as the pregnancy developed, she would come about every three or four weeks just to talk. 
maybe every three weeks, and just to say, this is how I'm doing, and thank you. And um, it came time for delivery, and the doctors had told her she was carrying twins. But because of the way he had beaten her uh, in the course of the pregnancy, the babies probably would be born dead. And she had no family in the area. So I told her that I would go and be with her. So I was with her when the babies were born. And the babies were born alive. And I was able to baptize the first little girl, and then shortly after the, the boy. And then we put the two babies in the mother's arms. And I sat there, and she and I prayed, even as the Lord took the two little ones to himself in heaven. And you go back to the rectory, and you shake your head and you say, this is the beauty of priesthood. It's a wonderful thing to, to, to celebrate a baptism. It's a great experience to be the witness of the church for a marriage to be anoint somebody when they're dying. It's so good in priesthood to be able to be a father to the people that you're, you're called to serve, always serving them to the best of your ability. Re remembering Jesus' words, you know, uh, where he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Remember the, the scene at the Last Supper when he washes the feet of the disciples. As I have done, so you must also do. That's the religious life. It's a, it's a life of service. Comparable to the life of service that a young man and a young woman pledge themselves to when they say, I do. Not knowing what the future is going to bring. So that they are one with each other over the long course of years. Every vocation is a call from God to be able to serve one another. And in that service, to, to experience the power of God's love as husband and wife, as, as parents, as children, as sisters, as priests. We're, we're all called to go to Catherine Siena. We're all called to be inflamed with that love. As Jesus says in Luke's gospel, you know, I've come to cast fire on the earth would that it was inflamed. No matter what our vocational status in life is, we're called not merely to be carriers of the flame of the love of God, but we're called to ignite that whole thing around us so that it is a blaze of God's love. I'm grateful, more than I can ever say, for the 57 and a half years where God, Mary, and Joseph have been so strong in my life, allowing me to strive to be on fire and allowing me, with all of my weaknesses and indebilities and, and idiosyncrasies and stupidities, allowing me to be able to, to, to minister in his name. That's our vocation. The vocation to priesthood is ministering in his name, proclaiming the gospel and the fire of the gospel. The vocation of, of women religious, consecrated women religious, 
is exactly the same thing. It's being on fire with the Lord's love and bringing that love to whatever situation they happen to be in. And that's the vocation of husbands and wives. We're all called not merely to be a carrier of the fire, but to make certain that that fire isn't just weak and barely glowing, but that the Holy Spirit is blowing upon it so that this fire enlightens the family, the society in which we live, so that, as Jesus said, the fire that he came to bring enkindles the earth with his love. A husband and wife and their love for each other and for their families reflect the fire of God's love. Women religious in their service and their dedicated service reflect the fire of God's love. And priests with all of their idiosyncrasies in their service in whatever position or capacity reflect the fire of God's love. Isn't it great to be a carrier of God's fire? Senior, uh, would all of you join me in asking Mary's intercession for these three men and for all the priests of our diocese? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was my cell phone ringing. Ah. <laughs> As always, we're here every first Thursday of the month to hear someone new talk about the ways that God's grace has helped them to become more fully who they're meant to be, that they may set the world on fire. So join us every first Thursday. You're welcome to hang around tonight and um, enjoy the snacks and drinks, and I hope I'll see you next week.